You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Massive show coming up. Full coverage on artificial intelligence. We speak to someone who testified before lawmakers just 24 hours ago on the risks of the technology, as well as the CEO of Character AI and Dynatrace. Plus, we bring you the biggest takeaways from the Tesla AGM and break it all down with Tasha Keeney of ARK Invest. And we'll discuss the state of venture capital investing and go live to Salt Eye Connections Forum focused on global finance, tech, and public policy. But first, let's get a check on these markets. There's a lot of attention from Wall Street on what's happening in D.C. and the debt ceiling. A smaller group trying to, you know, accelerate negotiations. There's fighting talk from the president and Chuck Schumer as well. How that looks in markets, NASDAQ 100 up, half a percentage point outperformance in semiconductors. You look at names like NVIDIA, AMD, a number of names in that basket up in the high single digits. Some of it AI-related, I am sure. In terms of the bond market, U.S. 10-year yield, 3.56%, a little higher. And Bitcoin, interesting, we're back now below 27,000 U.S. dollars per token. We'll bring you some details of news flow in the crypto space later in the program. In terms of specific names and movers, one piece of news out this Wednesday morning is Amazon with new Echo devices. A real emphasis on Alexa and part of the narrative around generative AI uh, tools, I guess, in the voice context of what they'll do to push back in some of the advances of their peers like Alphabet. Dynatrace, now down 1.4%, have been much higher in pre-market at least on strong earnings beat in the quarter gone and a full uh, year outlook that was above expectations. We will speak to the CEO later, later in the program. And then Tesla up 4%, now really accelerating in terms of its gains. The big takeaways out of the annual general meeting, they will now look at advertising in a limited way. J.B. Straubel added to the board and Elon Musk is there to stay. He will remain uh, as CEO. He's going to really focus now a lot more on Tesla, having, of course, been distracted by Twitter in recent weeks and months. Let's stick with the Tesla story. Yesterday, CEO Elon Musk held that company annual shareholder meeting. And while taking questions from investors, he excited the crowd basically by saying this. And although there's, there's obviously a lot of people that uh, follow, like, say, the Tesla account and, and, and the, uh, uh, you know, my account, whatever, on, on Twitter, um, uh, to some degree, it is preaching to the choir. And the choir is already convinced. Um, so I, I think what you're saying um, does, does have some merit. And um, you know what? I, I believe in taking, taking suggestions. So um, 
we'll, we'll, we'll try a little advertising and see how it goes. Let's get into Tesla and his ad shift with Tasha Keeney, ARK Invest Director of Investment Analysis. The choir is convinced, Tasha, does advertising convince others that aren't in the choir? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly the, the point that everyone is harping on here. Um, you know, I, I think generally it, it's not a bad idea to at least try advertising, right? I mean, from our research, we know that on a, both a, a sticker price basis now and a total cost of ownership basis, EVs are better cars, right? They're cheaper, they're more performant. Uh, so, you know, if you're not buying an electric vehicle, the question is why? Maybe, you know, that information just hasn't reached you yet. Maybe an ad will. Um, so I, I don't think it's a bad idea there. Um, you know, I, I'd say what I was most excited about from last night was all the talk around autonomy. You know, Elon said he thinks this will be the greatest asset unlock in human history. And I'd agree. You know, we've modeled that um, autonomous driving could add an additional $26 trillion to GDP in the next 10 years. Uh, it's going to totally change Tesla's business model, and uh, we're excited for it. I want to get into your five-year forecast, but let's react to the, to the other announcements, which is J.B. Straubel being added to the board. And also, you know, the, the comments from Elon Musk about his focus on Tesla remaining as CEO, particularly to get the company through uh, its next focus on artificial intelligence. What did you make of that, Tasha? Yeah, you know, I think J.B. Strubble is a great addition to the board, right? Um, you know, right now he's working with his own company on battery cycling. We know that's crucial uh, to scale the battery industry as a whole. They're, they're seeing great efficiency, I think over 90% in recycling. Um, you know, we've always thought that it's important for Elon to stay on as CEO as they reach full autonomy again, because we think that this is the next greatest milestone for Tesla and you know, arguably you know, any automaker out, out there, this is what they really should be going for. So we think that um, autonomous driving or autonomous ride hail, which is how we expect it to play out, will constitute roughly two thirds of Tesla's enterprise value in the next five years. Uh, so this is huge. Tesla has an enormous data advantage and uh, you, know, you shouldn't miss it. Investors or shareholders rejected a proposal for Tesla to publish a key person risk report. And Tesla's argument was, well, if we put all of our talent in the shop window, our competitors will try and take them. But do you still have a key man risk concern around Elon Musk? I guess, you know, a new CEO at Twitter goes some way to allaying those concerns. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of focus on this question. What I what I what I broadly say is, I'd be a lot more concerned if he said he was stepping away from Tesla. Right? Um, again, I think he's crucial to cross that autonomy finish line. You know, autonomous driving lowers the cost per mile of ride hail significantly, invites a lot of people that are not currently in the ride hail market into it. You know, it, it's going to be a, a multi-trillion-dollar industry over the next five years. Um, so, you know, and. On Elon's time, you know, we've heard this question come up so many times over the past five years. I mean, Tesla, SpaceX, you know, he was one of the founders of OpenAI. Um, he's clearly demonstrated that he can juggle a lot of tasks, and ultimately we're just focused on his execution, right? And I think given that Tesla has the best, uh, you know, cost relative to performance of any electric vehicle uh, maker out there, um, you know, he, he's already proved uh, sort of that, that he can juggle multiple things and succeed at it. There was a demonstration of progress, uh, apparent progress in Optimus, the, the humanoid uh, bot. When you saw that, 
did it give you any feeling that they are making progress in the field of AI, in that use case at least? Yes, I think Optimus is really interesting. So it's definitely out of our five-year forecasting window. Um, you know, our, our price target for Tesla is that it'll, our expected value is roughly $2,000 per share in 2027. That actually doesn't include Optimus because um, I, I think that, you know, by the time it's a meaningful contributor, again, it could be further into the future. Um, but I think the important thing to look at here is, um, you know, why Tesla? Why, why humanoid robot? Um, well, given that they have this massive data advantage from autonomous driving, you know, they have millions of cars on the road, they're collecting over a million, uh, they, they have over a million miles driven in FSD daylight, daily, which they can then pull data from, you know, that's an order of magnitude more than competitors. So I think this gets, sets them up well to basically create robots that move through the physical world. And the autonomous car will be the first version of that. Um, but they can, you know, port that knowledge over in, into other robots. And, and I think um, the Optimus robot is, is a good example. Um, you know, we talk a lot at ARC about backwards integration. I think the fact that this is a humanoid robot and it can move through spaces that were already built for humans um, is big. And I think this, you know, in the future, yeah, could um, be a major productivity enhancer. Um, like all AI, you know, we'll see, um, you know, non market labor activity turn into market labor activity. Um, and I think the productivity of the individual worker will ultimately increase because of this. So we're excited about it. So your 2027 call is $2,000 per share, which I'll give you an opportunity to explain. But the question is, did anything in that presentation or in the interview with CNBC afterwards move the needle for you guys, change the course of where you see this company going? Yeah, I think, again, since we're so focused on the, the long-term horizon, that five-year view, um, you know, I, I would stick to that $2,000 per share estimate that, that we put out. Um, and, you know, I, I think, again, um, what I'm more looking forward to is everyone else realizing the opportunity in autonomous driving. Because I actually think that Tesla does not get enough questions about this opportunity given how monumental it will be. So I was glad that we heard Elon talk about that last night, again, because I think that most don't truly understand how big of a productivity unlock and a cash flow unlock it will be, because we think autonomous ride hail could have software-like margins. Um, and we heard affirmation of that last night. Um, so again, it's a recurring revenue stream, software-like margins, so, you know, it's you know, up to, it's, let's say, roughly $10,000 in cash flow per car per year. I mean, that's unheard of. Um, and no other traditional automaker is, you know, close to the data advantage that Tesla has, at least. Um, so they're in a major yes. pole position yeah. there. Yeah, it, it's interesting because ahead of you coming on, a number of people tweeted at me saying actually they wanted to hear a little bit more about the plan for autonomous driving or at least the robo-taxi vision of the future. Our thanks to Tasha Keeney from Mark Invest for that reaction to Tesla's AGM. Before a Senate Judiciary subcommittee on Tuesday, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman praised AI's potential, but warned that the emerging technology is powerful enough to change society in an unpredictable way. Joining us now is someone who also testified on the Hill alongside him, NYU Professor Emeritus and Geometric Intelligence founder Gary Marcus. Of course, you're also the host of the podcast Humans versus Machines, which is kind of at the debate that we're having 
as a nation and globally right now. Let me ask you this. What good came out of yesterday's hearing? What was the net result? I thought the hearing was actually fantastic. It far exceeded my own expectations and I think probably most others. Um, it was really bipartisan, and I think we all agreed there, almost everybody except the IBM uh, executive, all agreed that we need to have some kind of national uh, agency governing AI and probably want some global agency doing that. Sam Altman was supportive of that. That's an idea I've been pushing for the last month or two, so it was wonderful to have his endorsement. Um, and the government, I mean, the senators as a whole, were pretty positive towards it. Um, I think the notion is that the United States should uh, try to lead the way if we're going to do something global. I hope that will happen. Um, and there was also strong support for having something like uh, FDA kind of regulations where if you have a sufficiently large model, you need to show um, that, it, that it is uh, sufficiently safe. You can't just release something to 100 million people. So there's lots to discuss, but I thought it was a very positive atmosphere, very bipartisan, and people recognized how serious the problems were. And also I think there was a lot of... Um, uh, sense from the senators that they feel like they didn't do the right thing yes. with Section 230 and the Internet and, and that they wanted to do better <coughs> this time. And they're here a lot faster. You know, it took them like 14 years after social media before they really did anything. And, you know, it's only six months after ChatGPT made it big that, that they're trying to yes. handle it. So I saw a lot of seriousness on the part of the senators. G Gary, uh, I invited our audience to put forward questions. A lot of people interested in you coming on the program. I'll give you a second to, to take on some water. Um, there are many that tweeted at me s saying that what you were doing was scaremongering. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair accusation that, that, that they've leveled at you? I, I don't think so. I mean, it's true that I'm trying to you know, raise alarms about things that I think are genuinely risky, but I think scaremongering is if you don't actually think that there's a risk and you're just trying to manipulate people, and I think they're real risks. I've to put all my own effort, I'm not getting paid for this, into trying to help us address those risks because I think they're real. Sam thought they were real too. You know, Sam agreed with me yes. that there were risks to our elections and possibly much graver risks in the long term if we don't figure out how to control our AI systems. One of the proposals that Sam put forward was to establish, at least here in the United States, an agency to license or have some sort of licensing system for the development of AI. There are many that believe that would basically centralize activity, control, power among the biggest tech companies. What's your response to yeah, that? Just, I mean, just to clarify, even before this meeting, I wrote an um, op-ed in The Economist and I gave a TED talk on, on April 18th about having an international agency to regulate AI. And Sam was supportive of that. He emphasized licensing and he emphasized, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about the cough, I've been doing so many interviews. Um, he, he emphasized licensing um, at, for large-scale uh, models, not necessarily for small models. I think we all agree that we don't want to cut off research, we don't want to cut off small companies from having a role. But the larger the model, the larger the impact, the more we might need licensing. One of the questions from our audience is for you to explain what is the difference between fooling a human with artificial intelligence and fooling a system with artificial intelligence? 
I'm not sure what you mean by fooling a system with artificial intelligence, but I, I, I will say... I think what they mean is that, that if, you're, if you're a consumer and you're confronted by information from a generative AI tool and it's false, you are yeah. fooled. But you can also use LLMs and foundation models to automate all kinds of processes from SaaS through to uh, internal workflow, whatever it will be. And I think that the, que- that the root of that question is what is the greater risk about human interaction with AI or broadly automation that comes from those tools? That's a good question. I guess, you know, there are different risks at different timescales. The thing that I'm most currently worried about is the risk to democracy. And the risk to democracy actually comes both from kind of accidental uh, mistakes from these systems. We know they confabulate, or some people call it hallucinate. Um, They do that automatically without human intervention. They're just not a very reliable technology. And then bad actors can deliberately use them to make enormous amounts of misinformation that's incredibly plausible. They can do that with deep fakes for images. They can do it with text. And so there, they're both, the fact that the systems are unreliable, they don't know what they're talking about, they can't verify what they're saying, and they can be abused. So it's kind of like both. Um, Similarly, in terms of long-term risk, you can think of deliberate scenarios where people try to (coughs) manipulate the markets and things go wrong, and and there's violence because people misattribute um, things that are happening, or maybe machines do things that are entirely different from what we programmed them to do. Um, So I don't know if you can neatly dichotomize it in that way. Um, The reality is the machines are not reliable and the machines are are not very well controlled and so that leads to all kinds of risks. Gary, why is the large language model approach not the right approach to achieve AGI in your opinion? Well, I just saw the words on your screen, safer and more relied, more, more aligned, excuse me. Um, these systems aren't that safe. They're not that sophisticated. They don't have a model of the world. They don't understand what's going on. And so, for example, they make stuff up all the time. They made up a sexual harassment charge. They, they said Elon Musk was dead when he's alive. They, I mean, all kinds of craziness. <laughs> They're just not systematic, trustworthy bits of AI. They, you know, when we look back 20 years ago, I mean, 20 years from now, it'll be like looking back at cell phones from 20 years ago. It's like, they had a phone that big. We're going to say, they used AI that was that unreliable? Like, what were they thinking? Gary, what do you want to happen next? You know, you, you, you actually quite praising or complimentary of, of the hearing itself, it being bipartisan. But if there is a concrete next state, step for lawmakers or regulators to take, what does it look like to your mind? I think the next step is to actually figure out what regulation would look like. I think we probably need a cabinet-level agency, and I think we should start drafting plans for how that would work. And there's lots of complications in terms of how it would work with existing agencies, how it would work internationally. I think we should start you know, taking the consensus that we've got and try to <coughs> represent what that might look as actual legislation. And finally, Gary, you talked about the need for a global regulator or a global agency. Do you recognize a a sort of multi-speed approach, what Europe is doing, what China is doing when it comes to the regulation and, and development of AI technology? 
So I think we have an opportunity here to do something rational rather than just sort of arbitrary and balkanized. So it's not actually in the interest of the AI, AI companies if we have like 193 or 195, whatever, uh, 100, you know, many different places where you have to train your own language model. So as you probably well know, it's very expensive to train these models. It's very yes. uh, costly in terms of climate impact. And so if everybody <coughs> is requiring their own set of rules, their own set of giant language models that takes you know, millions of dollars to train and, and you know, a certain number of jet flights in terms of emissions and so forth, that's not a great thing. And so I think the companies themselves would like some kind of alignment here, some kind of systematic way of doing business. And then you know, there's all this talk about global tension and stuff like that. And some of it is, of course, real. But in terms of AI, like, no country wants their citizens to be completely overwhelmed by misinformation. Nobody wants to be completely overwhelmed by cybercrime. And nobody wants you know, robots to take over the world, which is not an immediate concern, but in the long term, we do have to make sure we get that right. So I think even if you know, some countries are going to do some things differently, I think there's a lot of intersection between what different countries want and even the companies you know, want some alignment here. So I think there's a real opportunity, even though, of course, the politics are difficult. Uh, NYU professor emeritus Gary Marcus, also the, the host, of course, of the podcast Humans versus Machines. We're very grateful for your time. Thank you out of Washington, D.C. Now, sticking with AI, Goldman Sachs says artificial intelligence offers the biggest potential long-term support for U.S. profit margins. AI can boost net margins by nearly 400 basis points over a decade. But the Goldman team notes that predicting AI's impact is tricky due to the large number of unknown factors surrounding it, such as, as we just discussed, regulation. There have been about 1,600 mentions of AI by U.S. and European fir uh, firms in the first quarter earnings conference calls alone, of course, a record number. Now, coming up, how Kim Kardashian is using her social reach to attract investors for a private equity fund. Keeping our eye also on shares of Cisco, we get their earnings after the bell. Another name to watch, Rahaya, by around seven-tenths of one percent. Again, would we be surprised if AI is a key term when it comes to them? But more, I guess, on the networking side. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Let's get a quick check in on the markets. I actually want to pay uh, pretty close attention to Bitcoin. We're down now below 27,000 US dollars per token, off six tenths of a percent in a session. Remember, we're trading 24-7 when it comes to Bitcoin. There is some technology news out there in terms of uh, engagement between platforms. No real news driver. There isn't really a close correlation between the trading we see in Bitcoin and other risk assets particularly as it relates to the debt ceiling. Although I would say we've, we've kind of traded in this range from 26 to 28,000 US dollars per token over the last couple of weeks or so. In terms of the specific equity movers, there is news flow that is driving particular names. We're thinking, of course, about Amazon.com. They're out with a new range of Echo devices. We'll give you those details in just a moment. But when we consider AI, a lot of commentary right now from the companies themselves about how they're taking the R&D side of what they've done in the field of artificial intelligence intelligence and putting it into products. Alphabet continuing to see momentum. We're actually now flat on the stock, but it has seen a lot of gains in recent sessions based on the, the announcements that were made at Google I.O. I teased it. Let's talk a little bit about Amazon introducing an updated slate of Echo devices and pledging to bring chat GPT style AI to Alexa powered gadgets. Amazon Senior Vice President of Devices and Services Dave Limp said the new, more conversational capabilities will roll out incrementally with a few things to solve along the way. Now it's not just Alexa and it's not Alexa but it does offer personalized AI assistance. I'm talking about Character AI, a platform launched last September, which is now reaching 200 million platform visits per month. Noam Shazir, founder and CEO of Character AI, and of course, former Google Brain team member, joins us now for more. Noam, welcome to the program. We wanted to have you on Bloomberg Technology for a little while. It's interesting to see the engagement with Character AI. And I start by asking you this. You have uh, a history and a story in the development of AI. But character AI is a pretty simple tool. Why did you start it? Um, well, I mean, I, I've been uh, involved in inventing a lot of the technology behind large language models, but like, th this is a technology that has like a billion use cases. And, you know, it's something where you will no longer need a developer to invent like a billion new applications. Users can just talk to the thing and come up with new value. And so like the most important thing is get it to the users like right right now. So we just wanted to do that uh, as quickly as possible and uh, and let people figure out what it's good for. Okay, so I've been uh, using Character AI in recent weeks, you have a choice, right? You can use a pre-created avatar, which we'll show an example of in just a second, or you can create your own. But it's interesting, you offer uh, an avatar in the likeness of Elon Musk, and you can interact with it. Uh, you can ask questions. We're showing that on the screen right now. He starts by saying, you're wasting my time. I literally rule the world. You ask, if you could go back in time, where, when and where would you go? Just explain what one can use character AI for? Um, well, it's not our job to tell you what to use it for. Like our, our job is to like put out something general and have users figure it out. And what we're seeing is a lot of fun, a lot of entertainment, and a huge amount of emotional support. We, we see testimonials of people saying, like, I have no friends, I, I was depressed, this saved my life, like all, all kinds of, of wonderful stuff that we, we just had never imagined and, uh, and is happening. And I should point out, again, 
that is a generative AI avatar. It is not the real Elon Musk, but therein lies the, the point of the platform. Does this show the limitations of where we are with large language models? You know, respectfully, the, the, the character AI as a platform uh, is, is a simple interaction for the user, right? Does that, mm-hmm. Is that re- where large language models are right now? Yeah, I mean, th- this is what it's good for now. So let's let people use it for it now. Like we have on every page, it says everything the characters say is made up. So users understand that this is fiction, but it's still bringing a huge amount of value uh, from what is really the very, very beginnings of this technology. This is like iteration, like 0.0.1, you know, relative to, to, you know, to what's coming next. And we're just going to keep making this thing better. But at the same time, like, let, uh, let's, let's let people use it. So how do you monetize this platform now? Um, well, I, we, we are uh, we are starting with uh, you know with a freemium model, but um, you know we you know we're convinced that the real value is to consumers and end users, and and so we will continue to uh, as things get better, uh, you know, monetize to users. You uh, you were at Google Brain, and I know you've talked about this idea of the the twenty percenters. In other words, people who were kicking around Menlo Park at the time and working on AI in their, their spare time in the working day, right? And I wondered when you saw Google at Google I.O. make all of these product announcements and put their work in AI into the real world, what your reaction was? Oh, that's one, it's wonderful. Google's an incredible company. Google has been bringing trillions of dollars of value to the world, you know, directly to consumers for, uh, you know, for, for decades and uh, very excited to see that continue. What did you make of yesterday's hearing of Sam Altman, Gary Marcus, and the conversations that were had? Well, I mean, I mean, like we, we don't even know what the best use cases are. It's it's the actual users, like the individual, uh, like every individual person on earth who can who can actually unlock the value in in, in this stuff. So I I am uh, kind of dubious about the ability of um, of the federal government to. Um, you know, to regulate and to tell people what the thing is good for because, you know, they, they just don't have the capacity. All right. Noam Shazir, founder and CEO of Character AI, at one time a member of Google Brain. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ed. Now, in other news that we're following, Elizabeth Holmes lost her final request to remain free on bail while she appeals her fraud conviction. The ruling means the Theranos founder will soon have to report to prison to begin her more than 11-year sentence after being convicted of defrauding investors last November. Former Theranos president Ramesh Sunny Balwani's similar request was also denied, and he reported to prison last month to begin his 13-year sentence. Now, coming up, we'll discuss the globalization of VC money and opportunities with companies that have ties with China. That's all next with Patrick Jong from M31 Capital. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. 
That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's head out to Salt Eye Connections. The Global Finance, Tech and Public Policy Forum happen over in New York right now. Bloomberg Shanali Basak there with our next guest, M31 Capital founding partner, Patrick Jong. Just off a panel where he discussed globalization of venture capital and tech entrepreneurship. Shanali. Thank you, Ed, and thank you, Patrick, for joining us, because I understand that this is your first trip back to New York since COVID. What has that been like, and what has the reopening been like in China? Well, it's been a long time. I used to, before uh, COVID, I travel as much as like 176 days a year globally, but uh, COVID and kind of hold everybody's uh, back. And in China right now, I think on the ground, there are a lot of activities going on. I I think the consumer is very eager to, you know, embrace the world, embrace new life. And so they've been kind of doing all kinds of interesting activities. And so let's just see, you know, what's going to happen in the second half of the year and, and, and for the economy. But so far, I think everybody is so eager to go back. You know, it's interesting when you think about globalization, the panel that you were just on, there's a lot of questions about how quickly the world may be deglobalizing in the wake of China, in the wake of uh, geopolitical tensions, in the wake of COVID. What are you seeing in terms of technology companies in particular? Is it more competition or are you seeing just little bites of cooperation here? Um, you know, I think everybody, to be um, uh, frank, uh, you know, a lot of my friends I talk to being investor entrepreneurs, they're all worried. Um, and yeah, it's actually the same here with American investors um, and entrepreneurs as well between the two countries. But I have to say this, I think the world is truly interlinked. And, um, you know, I've been talking to a think tank uh, in America, and they actually said to me, they said, you know, if there is a complete delinkage between China and the U.S., American companies will potentially could lose half of its market cap just because the cost will go up so significantly. Another interesting aspect of this is kind of the competition to develop technologies faster, harder, stronger uh, than the other. And I'm wondering how you see that playing out in the world of AI. A lot of American investors here are talking about how AI will push the market so much faster. Is there anything China is doing when it comes to artificial intelligence that the U.S. is not particularly doing? Mm. First of all, I think if you talk to the AI community, I mean, there's certainly a community in the U.S., there's a community in China, there's a community 
in Europe. And these guys, they work in the virtual world. They actually talk to each other quite a lot. And um, I wouldn't say it's a competition. If it's a competition, it's a competition among different technologies or a competition among different entrepreneurs, different businesses. But I still see, I'm pretty optimistic. I think people wanted to work with each other. To give you an example, and China for the mobile internet, that's sort of the last generation digital um, economy. I mean, China was the lead in the world. And I, you know, I advised some of the European, very large multinational company CEOs. They actually said to me, the consumer experience on the digital side in China was the best for their older regions. The US was number two, and Europe was number three. So, um, and China had a lot of talents, you know. I mean, so many engineers, and they're battle-tested. They work on very large scale consumer operations. So, I actually see a lot of interesting innovations going to come out of it. By the way, when we think about the internet, how many of us remember who actually invented the internet? How many of us, you know, kind of remembered who invented the refrigerator, but it is the Amazon the world, it's Coca-Cola the world, benefited from this great invention. So the bottom line is, I think great entrepreneurs, when they have this kind of new technology wave, they're going to leverage it to create something very exciting for consumer or businesses. Patrick, thank you for your time here on Bloomberg Technology. There is a debate about US domiciled VCs putting money into Chinese technology companies. What are you seeing in terms of the LP appetite? US institutional money and LPs wanting to invest in China technology companies? Mm. I think uh, for right now, I feel like everybody kind of put it on hold uh, because of the geopolitical concerns. You know, as I said, listen, I mean, this is, this is the first trip I did to America since COVID. I think many of the LPs in America, many of the, the company uh, uh, CEOs in America haven't traveled to China. And they used to travel to China like once a quarter, but they haven't been back since COVID. Just to give you a number, the flights between U.S. and China today uh, in Q1, it was only 5% that capacity prior to COVID. So there's a lack of interactions, lack of communication. So people kind of tend to think everything in a very abstract way when you actually don't meet, don't talk. When you were at Wellington, you held some of the top China tech names as an institutional investor. How attractive right now are the US ADRs for some of these China tech names? You know, there's been a lot of back and forth on the listing, delisting, um, but they are still giants of technology globally. Yes, you know, I think they are still working very hard. And by the way, and China, or oh, this companies for the last 20 years, they have accumulated a lot of know-hows. They have a world-class engineering force working there. And, um, you know, I think the world, to be honest, is, is, is a little sad and because of geopolitics, people don't talk to each other. But I, I feel these companies, they're doing real work. And they're going to come up with real and exciting products, especially riding on this next wave of AI. 
And again, I think on the application side, I think the Chinese um, companies potentially can do really, really well. For a couple of months there, there were fears there from U.S. investors investing in Chinese Czech giants because of crackdowns, regulatory crackdowns. How much is that a concern for you as a local investor? Mm. So I think um, you know we're, we're we're venture capital investors, so we have to think everything a little bit longer term, and we look at the technology, how the company is sort of organized. We compare them to the best companies in the world, the companies in Silicon Valley. We actually see some of the companies uh, they are really really competitive, and so it's investors' job to help them to bridge the gap and help them actually even grow grow uh, globally. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Ed, back to you. Yep, that was M31 Capital founding partner Patrick Jong, and of course, Bloomberg Shanali Basak. Infrastructure software company Dynatrace out with earnings, beating expectations, and offering an upbeat forecast, which came in above analyst expectations for the full year. Dynatrace CEO Rick McConnell with us now. That full year guidance coming in strong, Rick. How much of that was to do with euphoria around AI? Well, first, Ed, thanks so much for having us uh, again. I appreciate it. Uh, actually, none of it. The, we see generative AI as a fascinating and very compelling technology, but uh, we didn't factor any of that into our guide for FY24. It's all, it's all upside. That's a, that's a quite candid and fresh response, Rick, because what we've heard for weeks is that AI is everything. That said, you know, it seems like there is actually some potential upside. Just what are you doing to integrate generative AI tools to boost your infrastructure offering as it is? Well, we do think that generative AI is highly synergistic with the observability space, the $50 billion observability and application security space in which we, Dynatrace, participate and lead. And, and the way that generative AI is going to foster itself in this environment is it is going to generate massive gains in productivity. And that productivity isn't just from writing text, it's also from writing source code. And more code means more productivity, means more applications, more workloads, more crowd and cloud instantiations. As you get through all of that, you need more observability capabilities, which is precisely what we do to make sure that that environment works perfectly. And that's what Dynatrace is all about. So huge synergy here in generative AI with, uh, with the capabilities from Dynatrace. You know, the, the, the kind of enterprise cloud area is really interesting. Barclays had a note out in response to your numbers saying that it, that it hints at improving macro conditions. Are you hearing that from your customers, that things are getting better out there? We, we didn't say that uh, in our comments today. In fact, our guidance assumes no change in the macro environment through FY24 for us, which just began on April 1st. So we are not factoring that into our guidance. Again, any macro upside would be uh, an opportunity potentially for accelerated growth uh, in our performance during FY24. You know, you've, you've talked about what the potential generative AI is. How are you hiring to ensure that you can harness that potential? Well, we we continue to bring new engineers on globally to take advantage of inordinate increases in opportunity in our market. Uh, As we look at the hyperscalers, AWS, Azure, GCP, $175 billion of annualized revenue they just reported in their latest quarters. 
all of these cloud instantiations really benefit from observability. So the observability attach rate to overall cloud deployments should be substantial. And as such, we uh, continue to grow our business. We just reported a quarter with 29% adjusted ARR growth, 29% subscription revenue growth, 29% free cash flow margin. These are exceptional results with a balanced model of revenue and profitability that uh, we couldn't be more enthusiastic about as we look to FY24. Quickly, geographically, where is the most activity for your business right now? Where is the strength globally? It's interesting, Ed, as you and I talked about last quarter, we had, uh, we had an answer uh, that we were seeing more traction in the Americas uh, last quarter, more traction in Europe the quarter before that. We really saw a very balanced geographic distribution with really strong growth in each of our geos in year-over-year ARR last quarter. So uh, we were really pleased uh, across the board with, uh, with the results. All right, Rick McConnell, Dynatrace CEO. Good to catch up. Another quarter in the bag. Thank you for your time. Great to see you, Ed. Thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Don't forget to check out our podcast. We're only three days into a monster week. So, so much to consider. Wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, there's been a huge focus on artificial intelligence in this program. But you look at the news flow, you look at the markets, that is where we've been. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.